Play seat comfortably. A few months ago I gave a talk which was called um, Natural Mindfulness. And I'd like to elaborate on that a little bit more tonight. But um, often people think of mindfulness as something that's been something relatively new, like in Western culture, or that it just comes out of Buddhism. It actually precedes Buddhism um, in the sense that mindfulness, like just being present in the moment to what is, is really just um, a natural phenomena, uh, not only of human beings but also animals. And um, when you think of animals just uh, living their life, surviving, you know, in the forest or in a field or whatever, um, they have to be mindful of their environment. Right, to survive, they've got to be watching out for predators. They need to know where food is. So paying attention to the present moment, or life as it is, is, is really something which is quite natural in all animals. And it's been cultivated mainly through Buddhism as a form um, of awakening. And um, one little example of um, uh, that comes from neuroscience that, that sort of um, illustrates this very well um, with birds, um, they've done research with the brains of birds and they, they, what they, they find is that there's neural pathways that go from the left side of the brain to the right eye. And there are connections that go from the right side of the brain to the left eye. And if everything in the hemispheres actually all, all uh, work on the opposite side of the body. And the right side of the, the brain um, is more connected into um, more holistic experience, global experience, um, present moment experience. And the left side of the brain, in humans it's very analytical, but it also is more narrowly focused, like more pinpoint kind of concentration. And so the way, a, a bird's brain is wired up that way because with its um, right eye, it looks like down like that at the ground to see the food, that bit, that bit of food there, that bug that needs to be picked up in its beak, right? And with its other eye, right, that's connected to that side, at the same time it's looking out at the environment to see if there's any predators around. So it gets both that narrow focus that it needs and it's got that global focus at the same time. And I'm sure human beings may be wide up in, in ways you know, that help us to evolve as well. So it's a very natural phenomenon. But what occurred to me the other day when I was um, talking to a friend about developing a, a workshop on mindfulness, um, are any of you familiar, I presume probably quite a few of you would be, uh, would be familiar with Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Well, yeah. Few, not few knows there. Um, let, let me um, remind you or refresh what it is. Um, Abraham Maslow was a, a humanistic psychologist who, who was around in, in about the 60s, 70s in California. And he was at the forefront of what's called humanistic psychology. And this is very well known, this, um, this uh, little model he has. And it makes a lot of sense. But what he's saying is that we have a hierarchy of needs, like we have basic physiological needs, and they're the first things that need to be met. And then once they're met, 
and then you go up the ladder and you start to meet safety needs and you go up the ladder again and you get to meet love and belongingness needs and then up there self-esteem needs and at the top of the pyramid is self-actualization which in Buddhist terms would translate as you know awake the awakened life let me give you a little bit more detail of um, of those those hierarchies well we've been expanded a little bit but there's biological and physiological needs air food drink shelter warmth sleep mm-hmm. safety needs protection from elements, security, order, law, stability, love and belongingness needs, friendship, intimacy, trust and acceptance, receiving and giving affection and love, affiliation, being part of a group, family, friends, network, and esteem needs, esteemed needs, which Maslow classified into two categories, esteem for oneself, like mastery, independence, achievement, and secondly, the desire for reputation or respect from others, so status, prestige, and so on. And then a few others he added in, cognitive needs, need for knowledge and understanding, curiosity, exploration, aesthetic needs, appreciation in search for beauty, balance, form. And then lastly, self-actualization needs, realizing personal potential, self-fulfillment, seeking personal growth and peak experiences. So. When to look at, understand the practice of mindfulness and how mindfulness might be used in a human being's life, if you think of it as like a a natural thing that animals have, well, animals are using mindfulness to meet their physiological needs, right? And then their safety needs, but they probably don't go beyond that much. I suppose they go into affection and so on if they're mammals and the need to belong to groups. But it doesn't really go much more than that, really. Um, And uh, human beings may also um, take up mindfulness, um, not necessarily for self-actualization reasons. Mm -hmm. That's That's what its function is within Buddhism. But people might take up the practice of mindfulness because it helps enhance them regulating their emotions and therefore, you know, being able to love and belong more effectively and join, you know, be in a group, you know, and meet those kind of needs. Or people might, people might do it because it helps them master um, an art, you know, or it helps them to master their intellect in some kind of way and develop knowledge. But really, or aesthetic needs too. Um, but when, when you look at how the purpose of, or the point of practicing mindfulness within a Dharma context, it's the last one, you know, it's self-actualization. Well, in a sense, it's not one or the other. It's kind of like you go up the, when you go up the ladder, you include the one below it, you know, mm. right, as you go up. And then, you know, with self-actualization, you're, all, you, you're actually meeting all of those needs. But it's as we see as we mature through life, we need those basic needs met. And in many ways, people need to have a reasonably secure sense of, sense of self, you know, and self-esteem and feel like they belong. But all of that needs to be in place until for, for the, the, the self-realisation need to actually emerge. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there is a kind of hierarchy that, that sort of goes up and up and up. And um, it's interesting reading um, Maslow's description of what he calls um, uh, self-actualization. Uh, characteristics of self-actualized people. Um, they perceive reality efficiently and can tolerate can tolerate uncertainty, which is our topic on, mm-hmm. on Sunday. They can accept themselves and others for what they are, spontaneous in thought and action, problem-centred, not self-centred, or I'd say life-centred, not self-centred, unusual sense of humour, able to look at life objectively, creative, resistant to enculturation, but not purposely unconventional, concern for the welfare of humanity, capable of deep appreciation of basic life experience, establish deep, satisfying interpersonal relationships with a few people, can have peak experiences, a need for privacy, democratic attitudes, and strong moral ethical standards. And the behaviours leading to self-actualization, experiencing life like a child with full absorption and concentration, trying new things instead of sticking to safe paths, listening to your own feelings and evaluating experiences instead of the voice of tradition, authority or the majority, avoiding pretense, game playing and being honest, being prepared to be unpopular if your views do not coincide with those of the majority, taking responsibility, trying to identify your defences and having the courage to give them up, and so on, and having peak experiences, I think was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good description, mm-hmm. you know, of what, what actually emerges in the life process. But, but mindfulness can be used at any of those different stages. Mm-hmm. And many people in secular mindfulness may use it to, um, to increase their self-esteem, to develop mastery over something, you know, to, like in corporate world, you know, to improve your performance in, in the corporate world so you get higher status, you know, and you get paid more. It can be all used for all of those different purposes at any of those levels. The thing that we need to remember that in a Dharma context is that it is that, that natural ability that we all have has been particularly cultivated in Buddhism, Buddhism for the uh, for the purpose of awakening, mm-hmm. and we 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 often have to grow through the other needs um, before we're really ready for that last one to emerge. 